Join me. Join me indeed, my friends. Welcome back to episode 54 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. But if you're not, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. Why not give me a follow on all socials? You can find me at Sir DRJM, especially over on Twitter, where you can interact with me. You can send me questions, comments, concerns for the show, uh, leave a review, anything like that, inquiries, whatever you want me to talk about, topics, and I will gladly do so on the show. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. And, of course, I'd be silly not to shout out Ready, Set, Pwn's podcast, the premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant, who were kind enough to invite me back to their show uh, yesterday to recap the grand finals of the Overwatch League, of course. Uh, so go check them out on all podcast feeds as well and uh, download that episode, listen to that episode, leave them a review, leave them a follow, treat them well, and tell them Sir Dr. JM sent you. Now, let's get to our show because we've got lots to talk about. Of course, we have the grand finals happening this past weekend slash, uh, you know, later end of the week there. We saw another look at Overwatch 2 during the grand finals and uh, just announced, I believe yesterday or today, rather, we got... Uh, the announcement of the release of a new map for the deathmatch modes. So, without further ado, let's dive on in. Listen to the whispers of madness. Alright, so I know I just said we were about to uh, jump on into the news, but before we get to the news, I wanted to do a required reading for this week. So, I'm going to send y'all over to... GG Recon for an article by the man Joseph Volamel Franco, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Tactical Crouch podcast. Definitely go check them out, one of the best Overwatch League podcasts out there, because he wrote an article titled Sandcastles, Overwatch in Memoriam. Uh, this was posted today, September, nope, yesterday, sorry, September 28th, and uh, I'm just going to read the first little bit here, but definitely go check this one out. Uh, you can either head over to GG Recon and find it, or I will post the link in the description of this episode. So let me give a quick read. The finish to the 2021 Overwatch League Finals was anything but surprising. However, it was meaningful. Marking the finale of Overwatch, the battle between the Atlanta Reign and the Shanghai Dragon serves as a memento mori, not just for the season nor the game, but for the stories we've grown to love. This isn't to say that we won't find a home within Overwatch 2, that goes without saying, but this book is officially over. For better or worse, Overwatch now stares down a bittersweet evolution. And in the face of it all, we smile because Camus had it right all along. Sisyphus was happy. While the 2021 Grand Finals will act as the harbinger of the end, that doesn't mean we have to forget what drove us to push the boulder up the hill in the first place. Let's face it. Overwatch has been spoiled in its major finals, but starved for a, long, for a strong grand final. We've had stages that defied the odds and tournaments that begged belief. Uh, pardon me. But the lion's share of our grand finals have been spectacular whimpers. The final, this final, was no different. Piloting their own style, the rain were simply unable to match the caliber of, team sh of the team Shanghai had become, and that is exactly why it's so important. Now, 
Uh, that's the first couple of paragraphs there of the article here. Uh, this is sort of a, I mean, I think the title does it justice, uh, Overwatch in Memoriam. It's kind of a look back at the league um, and, and how the past seasons have gone. It's a celebration of everything we've seen. Uh, you know, there's obviously talk of the grand finals um, with, uh, with Shanghai winning uh, most recently, which, spoiler alert, but we'll talk about that in a minute here. Um, it kind of looks at some of the other finals. It looks at uh, the years gone by, um, some of the huge players, some of the big stories, the expansion of the league. Um, and, and realistically, I, I think the ending of his article here is kind of the best part, but definitely go check this out. I won't spoil it. Um, give it a read. Shouldn't take you long, although it's a, a decent length article. Um, and, and enjoy, you know, bask in the history and the memory that is Overwatch and the Overwatch League. Um, I personally, you know, I, I love this kind of stuff because I wasn't a fan at the very beginning of the League. So I missed out on some of the stuff that, you know, uh, Volamel talks about here. But uh, certainly it's, it's fun to learn and uh, always good to look back. Now, let's do a quick look back, although not quite as far back as uh, Volamel's article might be. As we move on to our first news story, which comes from .esports.com, an article by Liz Richardson posted on September 25th, and I'm actually doing this out of sequence because I just wanted to get this out of the way because obviously this is the big news of the uh, weekend, week, what have you. Um, so, and obviously a number of other articles I'm going to talk about will probably reference what happened here. So, .esports.com, Liz Richardson on September 25th writes, Shanghai Dragons win the 2021 Overwatch League Championship. From 0 to 40 to 4 and 0, the iconic team finally gets its happy happy ending. I almost said wending. That was weird. I don't know why I said that. Okay. It may have taken a few years, but the Shanghai Dragons have finally soared to new heights. In a 4-0 sweep against the Atlanta Reign, the Dragons earned the 2021 Overwatch League Championship and solidified an incredibly dominant season today. After winning two tournaments in a row earlier this summer, this year, sorry, the Shanghai Dragons arrived ready to claim the crown. The first map, Ilios, was a relatively even affair, with Atlanta running their signature rush style against Shanghai's aggressive dive. While the Reign's DPS fought valiantly, the Dragons set the pace on both rounds and took the map with a dominant win. Uh, sidebar, I think I think Liz is being a little generous when she says it was a relatively even affair. Uh, I think Shanghai made quick work of Atlanta in, in the first round. I digress. Atlanta next took to Hanamura, one of the team's most historically successful maps as far as playoffs were concerned. Rain completed the map and put up a solid fight, but Shanghai were up to their old tricks. Last year's MVP, Fleta, was back in pristine form on Farah and repeatedly stopped the rain's attacks. Shanghai went up 2-0, but Atlanta clearly, uh, certainly, didn't make it simple for them. The rain, unsurprisingly, brought Shanghai to King's Row next, a map that highly favored all of Atlanta's best heroes. In the closest map of the series, Shanghai brought out what looked like a new composition to deal with the rain's rush. Dragon's flex support Iziaki stunned on his signature Zenyatta, while Grand Finals MVP Lip uh, rotated through heroes and caused destruction on all of them. Atlanta's pro sniper Kai did his best on Hanzo to deal with the assaults, but Shanghai overtook his team in the end. On the final map, Havana, Atlanta pushed through some of Shanghai's defenses to claim two points on the, of the escort map. Unfortunately for them, the effort wasn't quite enough, and former MVP Fleta destroyed Atlanta's defenses with one final pulse bomb to seal the deal. 
By winning the 2021 Grand Finals, the Shanghai Dragons also close up a key part of the organization's past. In the inaugural Overwatch League season, the original Shanghai Dragons roster was the only team to go completely winless, racking up a 0-40 season record. Three years later, after a massive reconstruction and new fervor for the game, the team has now taken home the final championship from Overwatch's original iteration with a 4-0 score. 4-0, four, four I mean. It's tough, because, you know, with a 0-40, and 40, you want to say 4-0, and zero, uh, I don't know. As this season's champions, the Shanghai Dragons have won $1.5 million in prize money, as well as gleaming the Overwatch League trophy. The Atlanta Reign will take home $750,000 as runner-ups. Runner-ups. Runners-up. Pardon me. Anyways, uh, pardon my terrible reading there. I'm, I'm still a rookie at this, as you know. Um, but that is a, a recap of the final match we had this past weekend in the Overwatch League and the final match we have of the uh, Overwatch League 2021 season. Um, as Liz points out there, you know, I, I did think it was an exciting match. Um, yes, I think most people would be crazy if they thought Atlanta was going to come out on top. I had hopes that Atlanta would at least take a map off Shanghai. Um, just given the, the, uh, wherewithal Atlanta had shown, um, overcoming every other team they faced with the exception of Chengdu who knocked them into the loser's bracket this past weekend. Um, but Ultimately, it was clear that Shanghai was uh, a dominant force uh, pretty much this whole year, um, especially going into the grand finals, stomping over every team they faced. Um, and and really, uh, I didn't have much hope for Atlanta going into this final. So I was pleased to see they did seem to put up a fairly good fight, especially after, like I say, a seemingly rocky start on the on Ilios there, the first control map. Um but ultimately, uh, it just wasn't enough. All right. Now, moving on to our next article, uh, now that, that, that the, uh, the, the discussion about the finals, or at least a brief discussion about it, is out of the way. Um, we're going to go back a little bit to just before the grand finals match uh, with an article from September 22nd posted by Theo Salon over on Dexerto.com, which reads, Overwatch League sponsors return for playoffs after vanishing. Overwatch League fans have noticed that two of the OWL's more prominent sponsors, Xfinity and Coca-Cola, have reappeared for the 2021 playoffs after seeming to disappear as Activision Blizzard's investigation news broke. In July 2021, it was revealed that, the, that Activision Blizzard was being sued by, the, by California, that should say by the state of California, over gender discrimination in the workplace. And in the months since, the company's franchise leagues, the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues, have quietly suffered uh, from disappearing sponsors. By the start of September, three separate waves of sponsorship uncertainties had emerged. T-Mobile was noticed missing on October 2nd. Coca-Cola and State Farm were reportedly, quote, re-evaluating their partnerships on August 5th. State Farm, Pringles, and IBM vanished on August 7th, and finally Xfinity seemed to drop out around September 1st. Now fans are surprised to find out that both Coca-Cola and Xfinity returned to the league's official broadcast for day one of the playoffs on September 21st. As pointed out by Twitter and Reddit users, it seems that Coca-Cola's tumultuous uh, partnership with the Overwatch League has given way to a renewed sponsorship. This is interesting news in particular, as fans had been quick to point out that during the turmoil, popular player Sato, a uh, member of the Toronto Defiant, had removed the Coca-Cola labels from his trademark mid-game beverage. Interestingly, Coca-Cola was never removed from the League's website despite reported partnership uncertainties, but Xfinity was. And while still not listed on the site, it appears that their sponsorship has returned to the broadcast. 
What these renewed partnership partnerships mean for the owl is uncertain, but many fans speculated such a situation might arise. As mentioned on Reddit, some believed that the sponsors would return once the Activision Blizzard heat simmered down. The heat most certainly remains active as the SEC is now subpoenaing uh, executives like CEO Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard, that is. But with fans excited for Overwatch 2 show match during the playoffs, this might be a good time to partner with the Overwatch League. For now, the Overwatch League, Activision Blizzard, and sponsors remain quiet about partnership discussions. Concerned fans will likely keep an eye out for sponsors during the rest of the playoffs, though as there have been reports of league financial struggles. Pardon me at the end of the article there. So anyways, a bit of an interesting one there because as uh, Theo outlined there, um, it, people were pretty quick to notice when sponsorships started disappearing from uh, the broadcast and everything right around the time of the uh, the Activision Blizzard lawsuit with the state of California and everything. Um, and then, I mean, I had noticed for a little while there that they weren't coming back, and it wasn't actually until the grand finals weekend here um, that I started noticing this. Uh, so it was after, apparently, people had already noticed. Um, maybe I just wasn't paying as close of attention. I guess this was posted on Wednesday, so it was shortly after. So I, maybe I was on the ball there. I would assume this is probably, at least I would hope this is probably due more to contract uh, details than anything. Um, although in any deal, I think uh, major entities usually have an opt-out clause uh, if there is some reason uh, on the other company's part to say that uh, the whatever initiator has done something bad. Um, but it could also just plain and simple be a fact of viewership. Um, they could have said, look, you guys have this huge event uh, coming up. We are pulling out for now until that event. And when that event is on, you can put our names back on the broadcast because we're going to be shown to potentially tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands more people um, than we would on a normal uh, game day. However, um, a large number of those people probably have no idea about the uh, gender discrimination lawsuit by the state of California and everything else going on in terms of the discrimination that has happened at Activision Blizzard. So it sucks. Corporate America, man. That's that's what it is. Um I had I had high hopes that uh Activision Blizzard would see the the strain from a lot of these sponsorships a little more than they have. And who knows how many of these we see coming back after everything that's going on. Um the, all of that said, one article that I'm not actually going to cover or one story is the fact that uh, they actually have settled this lawsuit and there's Activision Blizzard is now putting $18 million towards, um, I don't know, gender equity, equality organizations or something like that. Um, the reason I say it that way is not to discredit uh, the money going to those organizations because certainly that's great for them. Um, it's to discredit Activision Blizzard because that uh, effort is useless and meaningless on their part. Um it truly is a drop in the hat compared to the revenue overall that Activision Blizzard makes, as well as um, the amount uh, compared to the damage they caused, um, and as well as compared to the salaries of a lot of these highest uh, paid um, C-level executives, such as Bobby Kotick. I think it's something like uh, the amount, the $18 million, is something like less than 1% of... Uh, Bobby Kotick's yearly salary. So to them, uh, that amount of money is absolutely nothing. Um, would they have liked to keep it? Of course. But uh, ultimately, to them, 
that is a push it under the rug, make it go away uh, dollar amount. And that's why I'm not even going to cover it because it makes me angry and Bobby Kotick should be fired. Next up, we're going to head back to Dottie Sports with another article by Liz Richardson. Spoilers, there's a lot of Liz Richardson uh, in here because she reports on a lot of this stuff. And this article was posted on September 24th, which reads, Overwatch League reveals 2021 role stars. Scrolling down a little bit. At the end of the season, the Overwatch League bestows awards on some of its top players. Big titles like Rookie of the Year and MVP have already been announced, but this season's role stars will join the circle of 2021 champions. Four players in each role are given the honor of Role Star each year. The title is mostly a matter of pride, but players will get to have a special icon next to their name during the 2022 season to signify their win. You know, sidebar, I did not actually know that. Role Star awards are doled out based on votes from Overwatch League staff members, talent, and members of the media. Tank. This year's crop of tank role stars saw a lot of repeat winners from the 2020 class. Dallas Fuel's talented main tank Fearless earned his second role star award as his team soared to new heights in 2020. His tank partner Hanbin also received a role star award. They've been two of the most consistent tanks in the league all year long. Off tanks were critically important throughout 2021, and the role star winners reflected that. Base, the vocal leader of the Los Angeles Gladiators, nabbed an award for his crisp tank play. Earning his second annual Roll Star Award, Void of the Shanghai Dragons continued his mastery of off-tank heroes this year. Touching on that just for a brief moment, actually, you know what, I may as well just kind of touch on all of these. Uh, what you'll see is a lot of uh, Dallas, a lot of Shanghai, and a little bit of some other teams. I believe uh, Gladiators make another, at least one more appearance. Um, and then I believe Chengdu makes an appearance as well. So this is great, honestly. Um, I actually really like the Roll Star Awards. I think I just think it's kind of a cool way to celebrate um, some of the other best players outside of the you know Rookie of the Year and MVP. Um, and it's it's kind of something that I also appreciate on the the side of it being more of a unique thing to Overwatch. Um, you know, any any league can have an M or any team game can have an MVP. Um, as well as a, a rookie of the year kind of thing. Um, but I really like these because they kind of celebrate that unique side of Overwatch, which is, of course, the different roles uh, that are filled on a team. So let's continue with Liz's article here. Sorry if that wasn't clear, but that was my own thoughts. Support. Unsurprisingly, the Shanghai Dragons stalwart backline got a lot of love during award season. Flex support Izayaki, who was also an MVP candidate, received a Roll Star Award for his high caliber Zenyatta and Ana play. His support partner, Lee Jagon, received his second subsequent Roll Star Award for his high-risk, high-reward play style. Los Angeles Gladiators flex support Shu may not have won the MVP award, but he took home a Roll Star Award this year. The final support Roll Star recipient, Fielder, had one of the best redemption arcs of the year. He moved from the Paris Eternal in 2020, where he played on 200 ping, to the Dallas Fuel, where he's been a critical part of the team's success. Damage. Dallas continued to rake in awards in the DPS category, with Sparkle winning his second Roll Star award. Last year, he earned the honor on the Paris Eternal, but he obviously continued his dominance this year. Lip of the Shanghai Dragons also earned his second Roll Star award. He was a menace on Sombra this year and destroyed many dreams of his competitors. The Gladiators managed to bring home one award in each category, with DPS Kevster taking home his first Roll Star award for his varied, vibrant play over the past year. To absolutely no one's surprise, Leave of the Chengdu Hunters earned yet another accolade in addition to his 2021 MVP win. Well, well this is his first Roll Star win. If he remains in the league at his current level of talent, it certainly won't be his last. 
So there you have it. Uh, you know, congrats to all the winners. Um, some great picks in there, really. Um, I know uh, John Spector, VP of the Overwatch League, also actually tweeted out the breakdown of votes for uh, for these awards. And if I go John Spector Twitter Roll Star, let's just see if I can find that tweet really quickly here. And there it is. So it's actually one of the most interesting parts to me is how these are scored. Um, I'm not sure what exactly the breakdown is, if it's straight up individual votes or what. But it's interesting to see the the top four slots and how many votes they got compared to, uh, I believe he lists here, the top seven. So, you know, the fifth, sixth, and seventh spot. Um, in terms of damage, Kevster was the fourth position with 38, and Pelican was just behind him with 35. In terms of the tanks, Space was 32, and Fate was just behind him with 30. And in terms of support, Lee Jagon was 30, and Alarm was just behind him with 27. Um, from there, the... I guess that would be sixth place person is a more steep drop off with uh, tank being the closest, but you know, seven points away. Um, damage is 12 points away. And then uh, support is nine points away there. Um, but ultimately I, I just find the breakdown kind of cool. Um, and it really also does show uh, how slanted towards certain people. The votes were uh, in the damage role, uh, the top three, all were 40 or above points with leave in first place having 56 a full 12 more than second place sparkle um, on the tank side of things fearless is in first with 61 points and behind him is hanbin with 48 and then space dropping all the way down to 32 so fearless almost had twice the votes that uh that space had and then going over to support we have 57 for shu in first and then Izayaki had 47, and then in uh, fourth there, we have 30 points for Lee Jagon. So just, I, I like the numbers. I like seeing the background there and the interesting uh, numbers of how the, the votes actually broke down. So nonetheless, congratulations to all of them. Um, I like the Roll Stars quite a bit. Uh, I'm sure there's some room for improvement. I'm sure they could tweak the system, maybe open it up to a little bit more or a few more slots. I know uh, yesterday on Ready, Set, Pwn, uh, I was talking with Lightforce and Omni over there, and uh, Chris Lightforce was saying that one one thing he thought you know could maybe be an option is something like increasing the number of slots for DPS players simply because of the number of characters they might have to play. And uh, I actually did think that was kind of an interesting suggestion, just given the fact that yeah, there's far less tank characters and far less uh, support characters than there are. Um, damage characters so maybe it does make sense to open that up a little bit more you do have to be a lot more varied on uh on the damage side of things now at least to an extent or within your team you need a lot more variance so i could see some interesting tweaks there um but nonetheless overall i do like and appreciate the roll star awards moving on from there we're going to go back to .esports.com, or we're going to stick with .esports.com, if I believe I was already on there. Uh, an article from September 25th as well, another one by Liz Richardson, which reads, Overwatch League reveals Sombra and Bastion's Overwatch 2 reworks. So I'm going to read the article here, and then I'm going to look at these a little bit closer and just kind of talk about my thoughts on them. Liz writes, Bring in the DPS drama for Overwatch 2. Lead hero designer for the game Jeff Goodman joined the Overwatch League Watchpoint pre-show to reveal some new details about two of the game's most beloved DPS heroes, Bastion and Sombra. Sombra's visual rework was revealed at Summer Games Fest in June, but this is our first look at her new kit. 
Both heroes have had their ultimate abilities completely redesigned for the sequel. Fans of Sombra should look forward to dealing more damage, and Bastion enthusiasts should be gearing up for more tactical attacks. Sombra Rework Both Goodman and game director Aaron Keller noted that a big goal for Sombra was reducing her crowd control effects and increasing her potential damage. Based on what we saw during the preview, they've definitely accomplished that goal. Sombra's key ability, Hack, will last 8 seconds with a reduced 3 second cooldown, but it will now have two different components in Overwatch 2, according to Goodman. In Overwatch, Hack takes away abilities from uh, for heroes for a period of time. In the sequel, however, this portion will only last for a single second. The other 7 seconds of her Hack ability will show the location of enemies to Sombra and her team. When a target is hacked, Sombra can do 50% damage to them, giving her more power to finish kills and take out specific heroes. Sombra will also be able to hack while in stealth mode, though she'll briefly uh, she'll be briefly revealed to the enemy. The biggest change to Sombra's kit comes with her ultimate EMP. In the base game, this ultimate removes abilities from enemies and is essentially a widespread version of her hack ability. In Overwatch 2, EMP will deal damage to enemies equivalent to 40% of their current health and hack them. Not all shields will be removed, however, so enemies have a chance to escape her wrath. Stacked with her new hack passive, Sombra will be able to demolish single targets more quickly. Bastion Rework Pharah may be the usual choice for reigning justice from above, but Bastion is joining the fray in Overwatch 2. Many of his current abilities have been removed or completely reworked to fit the pace of fights in the sequel. One of his key abilities, self-repair, has been removed, making Bastion a more vulnerable target. Bastion will have a new ability called Tactical Grenade, a projectile that bounces off walls to stick to players to deal large amounts of damage. His primary weapon is in his upright form, no longer has spread, but has a reduced fire rate now resembling a sniper or burst fire rifle. Uh, I don't know how burst fire that is. Anyways, in Sentry form, the bane of many Overwatch players' existence in ranked mode, Bastion will now be able to move around the map instead of staying in one place. This mode will have a cooldown, however. <laughs> That's kind of abrupt. The Omnic's ultimate tank is now completely gone. His new ultimate is called Artillery Strike and gives players a chance to select three areas on the map where rockets will rain down from above. Goodman revealed on the Watchpoint pre-show that this attack will do a total of 600 damage on a direct strike, divided into 300 impact damage and 300 explosion damage, though Goodman says direct strikes are rare. As if Bastion didn't get enough of a makeover in his kit, he also gets a fancy visual update. Apparently, he's formed a friendship with Torbjorn and snagged one of the mechanic's hats. It might be a small change, but it certainly ups the cuteness factor. Goodman and Keller were notoriously tight-lipped about any potential release date for the game, but both noted the playtests were going well and working well. Were ongoing, sorry, and working well. Overwatch League players got a chance to test Overwatch 2, and their exhibition match will be revealed during the League's Grand Finals broadcast. So there you have it. That's Liz's breakdown of the Sombra reworks and Bastion reworks. And uh, I, I suppose I'll start with Sombra and give my thoughts on her. So definitely it was... She's got some pretty significant changes. Um, one of the most interesting parts of it to me was how they... I mean, they've talked a lot about how in Overwatch 2 they, they want to reduce crowd control. Um, and I think a clear vision of that is seeing the, the hack ability changes. So now, rather than hacking a player, making it so they can't use abilities for however long it is, let's call it 8 seconds, um, it really functions more now as an interrupt, right? Um, so cooldown is down from 8 to 3 seconds. So someone's coming at you, uh, or you're behind someone, you hack them, and it interrupts whatever they're doing. There's, I mean, if I had to 
put on my uh, PlayStation Gamer hat. Wouldn't surprise me if there is a um, a trophy tied to interrupting someone by hacking them in the middle of using an ultimate. So maybe, I, I mean, who knows if Roadhog's ultimate will be the same, but maybe while he's doing his whole hog, you hack him, it interrupts him, just like with Shield Bash on, on Brigitte or something like that. Or another stun, um, you know, the, the cowboy slash bang, something like that. Sorry, I'm still not sure about that. Well, well that's interesting, Siri. You didn't have to shout, though. Uh, moving on. Um, so that's kind of interesting and really kind of shows a little bit of the design philosophy they, they have going on here. Um, and like I say, they've talked about that. They've talked about they want there to be less crowd control, which to me says they want the game to be a lot faster. And if you watched the uh, uh, Overwatch 2 match in the middle of the Grand Finals, that's definitely something that was notable, was the speed at which the game was played. It seemed like there was a lot less downtime. There was a lot more piling on top of each other, running in, rushing in fights. There was constantly action going on and a lot less breathing room, which in part could be due to the push mode. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's likely that that is an ultimate goal of theirs with Overwatch 2 is to make the game a lot faster, a lot more quick-paced, um, and, and kind of draw in some of that crowd from the S FPS side, uh, which is something you see in a game like Call of Duty, which, you know, surprise, surprise, Activision Blizzard also owns the Call of Duty League. So anyways, that was interesting. The other probably most interesting part of... Uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sombra's new kit is the... Uh, pardon me, her passive, which is called Opportunist, now also deals 50% more damage to hacked targets. So not only can she hack more often, and it lasts for 8 seconds in general, she actually does 50% more damage to those characters. So realistically, Sombra can burn you, especially if you are another DPS character or, or a squishier support character, Sombra can burn you down pretty quickly. Um, if I had to guess... And this is kind of, you know, a little bit through the looking glass here. If I had to guess, I would suspect they are really going to uh, do some some tweaking and some balancing with, with Sombra. Um, I kind of feel like that 50% seems really high. Um, and aside from that, I also feel like the cooldown on hack being reduced from 8 to 3 seconds seems really, uh, it seems like a really short cooldown now. Um, so, I mean, two ways to easily balance that out, less percentage damage on hack targets or increase the uh, cooldown on hack, make it so she can hack less. Now, you probably don't want to do both because that probably nerfs her a little too much, but I don't know, 50% more damage just seems insane to me. Maybe bring that down to 40. And who knows, you know, they're they're the developers. They've obviously tested some of this stuff. They, they may know better than me. Her EMP is also uh, pretty significant in that it deals 40% of enemies' current HP. So, you know, if if you have 50% of your health left, that immediately takes you down quite a bit more. I mean, if you are close to death, then you are within inches of it at that point. So, pretty crazy changes, honestly. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how she plays in comparison with other heroes. Because, um, obviously, this is only one side of the picture, right? We're only seeing one character here. Um, it's very hard to see, you know, okay, how will other characters play against that um obviously we did see the match in the middle of the game there like i say it was very frenetic very frantic very fast paced fast paced sorry um i would love to see another game mode rather than push because i think push kind of lends itself to that 
constant battle. I mean, it's kind of in the name. You are constantly pushing. Um, whereas an, an escort game mode, uh, you kind of see a lot more of that uh, flow of Overwatch, if you will. That, you know, in a lot of ways, I think I, I like and I think is a part of what draws people into the game. Um, those, those, those sort of, uh, I guess, in my mind, there's kind of a, a setup to the game where it's, you know, team comes in, sets up their defense, other team comes in and attacks. If the defending team defends, then there's a bit of a break as the fight ends. And then the attacking team has to regroup and come back in. On the opposite side, if they, you know, destroy the defending team, the defending team is now reset and then they have to regroup, come back in and set up. Whereas with this push game mode, it seemed like there were a lot more sort of one-on-ones. There was uh, one thing that the cast, the broadcast talked about a lot and everything is there's a lot more carry potential, it seems. Like every character has potential to really kind of pop off and make those amazing plays. And I do think that is a little bit interesting because I think that that in a lot of ways that appeals to a mass audience a lot more. Um, you know, if, if anyone has the potential to turn a fight, then then why wouldn't more people be interested in that? And and it also kind of makes every character a little more self-reliant, which means, you know, there's less of that uh, teamwork element required um, in order to be successful. So anyways, that's just Sombra and obviously some of my thoughts on Overwatch 2. Um, like I say, definitely go check out uh, Ready, Set, Pwn's podcast, uh, their latest episode that I was on, because we actually get into a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think we all have some really good points and really good observations about Overwatch 2 from what we saw of the game so far. Now... Let's look at Bastion. So, Bastion. Um, Bastion is obviously more of a... I feel like... I want to say more of a drastic change. Um, I feel like Sombra's kit changed in a lot of ways, but at her core, she's still the same. She's still got her, whatever it is, little Uzi and her hack ability and that kind of thing. Whereas Bastion, I feel like they changed kind of the core way he plays a lot more. Um, you know, his primary fire is no longer just a slow-ish rate of fire uh, machine gun it's now a quite literally a a single shot um i mean the the breakdown is weapon fire reduced by 50 percent. so he kind of becomes a lot more of that not quite a, a cowboy character um, or a hanzo character but he has that potential kind of maybe more in line with like an ash kind of thing um the damage falloff range increased to be more accurate at long range. Weapon spread reduced to zero. So there's no more of the spraying, the praying that he used to do. Not that, you know, Bastion characters were frequently in uh, that configuration recon mode. Now, the other side of that, obviously, is configuration sentry, which formerly Bastion would plant his feet and become a turret. Now, of course, he's on wheels. Weapon has unlimited ammo. Weapon damage reduced by 40%. So he's doing less damage in that mode, uh, but he can obviously move around, so he's more mobile and everything. He can sneak up behind you. He can, you know, get a new vantage point, that kind of thing. However, his reconfigurability, which transforms him from recon into sentry mode, uh, now has an 8-second duration and has a 10-second cooldown. So there's a little bit more to it. You know, they're kind of balancing out the mobility of the sentry mode and the accuracy of the recon mode, um by putting it on a cooldown and making it have sort of a cast time. It is an interesting one. Um, like I say, they're kind of changing more of the core way that Bastion plays um, by changing all of these things a little bit more dramatically. Obviously, his ult has changed pretty significantly. 
Um, and uh, I mean, one thing they didn't mention in the article here, but they have on the, the info sheet that I'm looking at is that his self repairability is totally removed. And they've given him a completely new ability, which is a tactical grenade, where uh, it's a little grenade that bounces off walls but sticks to enemies and floors and then explodes shortly after it sticks and uh, um, does some splash and pushback damage. So, anyways, that, that one's kind of just an interesting thing that I think will be cool to see how how useful it is or not um when it i guess overall my thoughts on bastion it's harder to say how effective he will or will not be um with his his new rework to me the cool thing about the bastion redesign is more about the actual design of it as opposed to some of the abilities although the abilities tie into that so this is one thing i talked about on ready set pwn as well but i'm going to talk about it here because this is my show so they talked a lot about how the design of bastion kind of evolved from he used to be this very blocky kind of thing um in my mind i compared it to you know the iphone 4 moving on to the iphone 6 where uh his overwatch 2 design he's got the rounded edges he's a lot smoother um kind of looks like a newer model of car kind of thing um, so I like that. It's kind of like they they improved upon that design of his. And then the other side of it too is like, um, if you look at Overwatch 1, when he would go into that sentry mode, he was obviously immobile. He was planted on the ground in one spot. And so what is, you know, if, if Torbjorn were to come across Bastion and say, I can make you better, what's an obvious way to make him better? Well, it's put some wheels on him and make it so he's not stuck to the ground when he does that. So I like the kind of evolution of Bastion, which... It's a funny thing to apply to a robot character, the you know the term evolution, but it really is a good evolution, um, sort of lore wise, and and just makes sense with the character. Here's what he was. Here's how how in the world they improved him and made him better. Um, or I mean, you know, better as a relative term. Um, so I I really like that. I think that's kind of cool. And then on top of that, his new ultimate configuration artillery. I kind of, I could see a little bit of an argument that that one is a step backwards going from, okay, he used to be, you know, on wheels, mobile tank mode, and he's, you know, firing these bigger rocket fireballs at you kind of thing. But even that one kind of makes sense as well. It's kind of like, okay, they upgraded his firepower, so it now does more damage in order to compensate for that. You know, he's, maybe it's a, I don't know, a heavier gun, a bigger gun type thing. Now he does have to plant his feet down, but he's got a ton more range. He can basically aim it up, and you get this artillery strike view, uh, which was very reminiscent of Call of Duty, and you get to choose where your three strikes land kind of thing. So, again, just analyzing things a little bit more than some of the arguments I've heard and some of the discussions I've heard around him, I really like uh, the sort of look and feel of what they're doing with Bastion. Obviously, it's hard to say how any of these characters will play. Everyone is largely expecting that sombra is going to be way overpowered i don't know how true or not that is uh but i'm excited to see it and i'm i'm just excited for this game man i just want to get my hands on it you know anyways that's what we saw of overwatch 2 in terms of the character abilities in uh during the grand finals match we did actually also have an exhibition match or or sort of a i don't know what you want to call it a scrim um, featuring many players of the Los Angeles Gladiators and the Washington Justice in the middle of our um, half-point show during the Grand Finals. Um, so if you want to see that, and if you didn't, I mean, I'd be shocked if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't catch that or didn't catch the Grand Finals game. Um, but go check it out. It's on YouTube on the Overwatch League's uh, channel. 
and by all means it was really fun to watch and really i urge you if you do watch that or if you're going to rewatch it which i've done a couple times at this point really just pay attention to the details take everything in because i think there's a lot that you can glean from that and obviously um you know look at look up some overwatch league or overwatch content creators because they're all doing breakdowns of this stuff um Karku, who's partnered with the toronto defiant does some great breakdowns go check them out on tiktok um another one is of course um uh who am i thinking who am i thinking stylosa uh does some good breakdowns and stuff as well um, so go check them out and and see what they're seeing because you might just learn something. Moving on from that article, we're going to move on to what is our second to last, our penultimate article for this week's episode. Posted on September 28th over on Forbes, written by Chris Holt. It reads, Overwatch League Grand Finals match sets new viewership record. And I don't remember if I said this was posted September 28th. That was yesterday. The 2021 Overwatch League wrapped up this past weekend after a few terrific after a terrific few days of playoffs followed by grand finals. Shanghai Dragons beat Atlanta Reign 4-0 to secure their first championship. As it turns out, they did so in front of the largest owl audience yet. The 2021 Grand Finals match matchup now holds the record as the most watched Overwatch League match of all time, according to viewership stats that the league shared with me. Owl uses a metric called Average Minute Audience, or AMA, which is the average number of people watching the broadcast at any given time. Shanghai's sweep of Atlanta had a global AMA of 1.6 million, which is an increase, which is an 8% increase from the 2020 Grand Finals. Until now, that was the most watched Owl match ever. Global AMA figures for Grand Finals have increased every year since the inaugural season in 2018. On YouTube, there was an AMA of 218,000. That marked a 36% increase from last year's Grand Finals. The Overwatch League told me that that's the highest figures it has seen on YouTube to date. Bracket Owl broadcasts were on Twitch for the first two seasons. In China, Grand Finals viewership increased by 5%. That's an impressive bump given that Chinese fans were watching in the morning. The 2020 Grand Finals match was in, the, in prime time in that part of the world. Having a popular team from the country go a, a couple of steps further than they did last year surely bolstered Chinese viewership. It's also worth noting that Owl broadcasts streamed exclusively on Bilibili in China this season. In the past, fans were able to watch on multiple platforms. The record-setting broadcast capped off a great year for Owl, which had a terrific season despite a number of external factors weighing against it. Global viewership also increased for the tournaments compared with last year, save for the June Joust, which was new in 2021. The Grand Finals closed the first major chapter in the history of competitive Overwatch. When the 2022 Overwatch League season starts, it will be on an early build of Overwatch 2. Hitting a new viewership high is a heck of a way for the League to say goodbye to Overwatch 1, and then in brackets, and 2CP. So there you have it, uh, just a breakdown of the viewership numbers of the Grand Finals match, which obviously, great news, wicked to hear, just awesome. I'm really glad to have this uh, this coming out um, and, and hear such a great celebration of the end of the Overwatch uh, League season 2021. All right, now we come... Oops, bumped the mic. Now we've come to our final story of the week. We're going to head over to GameSpot.com with an article by Cameron Cook on September 28th, which reads... New Overwatch Deathmatch map is now live on all platforms. Overwatch has a new map taking players to scenic Italy to battle it out in free-for-all or team deathmatches. 
called Malavento. It is the second map based on futuristic Italy, with the first being the escort map Rialto. Malavento is now live on PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. Overwatch received cross-platform play earlier this year. Originally set to debut two weeks ago, the map's launch was delayed following a State of California lawsuit alleging widespread harassment and discrimination towards women at Activision Blizzard. The company is also currently being investigated by the SEC and recently reached an $18 million settlement with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in regards to allegedly failing to address employee sexual harassment claims as well for discriminating against pregnant employees. Fallout from the lawsuits has been numerous, has seen numerous Blizzard veterans implicated in relation to the lawsuit's allegations depart from the company, among them former President J. Allen Brack and former lead designer Jesse McCree, who, after whom Overwatch's cowboy hero is named. The Overwatch character sharing McCree's name will undergo a name change in the near future. Malavento releases just as Blizzard revealed new details about Overwatch 2 during the Overwatch League Grand Finals this past weekend, with major changes outlined for heroes like Bastion and Sombra in the upcoming sequel. Bastion's ultimate has been completely changed, with the hero now transforming into an artillery cannon rather than a tank, as well as changes to the hero's sentry mode. Sombra's ultimate will now deal significant damage, and she will also deal 50% extra damage to targets she's attacked. Hacked targets will also be visible through walls, though the duration for Yep, for which targets will be unable to use abilities is significantly decreased. The 2022 season of the Overwatch League, which begins in April, will be played on an early build of Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2 does not currently have a release date, but owners of Overwatch will continue to receive new maps, heroes, and balance updates when the new game does arrive. So there you go, a little bit of, little bit of fluff in, or a little bit of padding in that article. Uh, the point was Malavento. The uh, new deathmatch and team deathmatch map is now live. Um, I have yet to uh, take a look at it. Malavento Overwatch. Uh, beyond a few screenshots that I've seen, um, I'm just gonna pop over to YouTube here and take a take a quick watch at the actual official announcement video. Actually, I did watch this. Um, just kind of a quick flyover um, video is over on the Overwatch Overwatch account. Uh, play Overwatch YouTube channel, uh, where you can kind of see some of these corridors, some of the inside spaces, some of the outdoor spaces, um, some of the scenic views of Italy, and it looks like there's a little bit of a Blackwatch station there. Um, we also get Junkrat blowing some stuff up at some point, and, and then a match kind of starts. Um, looks pretty interesting, honestly. I, I dig the style. I dig what they're going for here. Um, looks to me a little more uh, sort of varied heights kind of thing um looks like there's a lot of vertical gameplay i should say that's that's what i'm trying to say um as compared with kanazaka the uh previously the most recent deathmatch map released um i think with kanazaka although pretty open and uh some good corridors good tunnels some good avenues kind of thing i find that map to be a little flat kind of thing um it's, you know, like I say, there's lots of sneaking, there's lots of flanking routes, there's lots of tunnels, there's lots of, you know, uh, just sort of a couple of raised platform kind of things, but I find that it's not very vertical, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of sight lines that get interrupted kind of thing because of, because there's so many uh, tunnels and things like that, um, whereas just, you know, from this video alone, it looks like we have a lot more varied levels in, in the map, um, you know, there's, there's some shots of, a spiraling staircase kind of thing going up and down with a, a launch platform in the center um, some re uh, some sort of alleyways that are just 
on an incline, that kind of thing, kind of a, a bit of a corridor in a church with some different heights in there. So anyways, I digress. Um, I'm excited to get in there. I'd like to give it a try. Uh, I do like the deathmatch and team deathmatch modes, uh, mostly free for all deathmatches is more my jam, but I digress. Uh, that's what the new map Melavento looks like, and it is out now. And with that, we come to the end of our news articles for this week. But of course, uh, I mean, I could recap the Overwatch League games of this past weekend, um, but I don't necessarily feel the need to. Uh, we did actually get into the games themselves a little bit more over on uh, the latest episode of Ready, Set, Pwn. So again, go check them out. Uh, if you like my voice, you'll hear more of it there. Um, but I'm not going to actually re recap the games or cover them. I, I generally speaking, in this, uh, in the Grand Finals, um, as well as in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to the individual tournaments, um, I just feel like once you know the winner, it's a little silly to, to, it just feels redundant to look back at those other games, unless there was something, you know, super standout. And to be fair, this grand finals was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and all the matches were extremely well played and congratulations to all the teams that won or didn't win. Um, because it was, it was fantastic and just a lot of fun. Um, so congratulations to everyone involved, but I digress. Uh, all of that said, because we're at the end of the Overwatch League season, uh, 2021 season, that means that we are bringing back a segment onto the show that has been gone since, mm, gosh, when did the season start? Probably May, maybe April, something like that. We're going to bring back the Owl Tracker. The outcome is not preordained. The outcome is not preordained indeed. That's right. Liz Richardson has returned on September 29th with her latest Overwatch League 2021 off-season trade tracker. So uh, at the beginning or, or middle, during the off-season last time, uh, I used Liz Richardson's 2020 off-season trade tracker. Um, and every week it seemed like we were getting announcements of retirements, um, you know, players moving to different teams, uh, trades, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else. New signings, new players coming up, uh, coaches, staff, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I noticed today that Liz posted her 2021 offseason trade tracker. Um, and given the roster construction rules, uh, I think things are about to start to kick up. You know, we're obviously in that sort of weird period where you never know what's going to happen. Um, but I believe trades and everything, I believe roster construction says that October 9th is the deadline at this point. So I think kicking off pretty shortly here we're going to start seeing a lot of announcements and a lot of uh, changes to some of these teams uh, so let's take a look at what she's got in the trade tracker I'm just gonna refresh the page here real quick because I want to get the latest and let's scroll on down I'm going to read uh, the article that Liz has here because she does have a little bit of a description there just to give you some frame of reference around the roster construct construction rules. Um, and uh, then we'll get into the actual breakdown. There isn't a ton right now, but there's a little bit. The end of the 2021 Overwatch League season and the victory of the Shanghai Dragons gave a proper send-off to the first era of competitive Overwatch. With news that the fifth season of the league will kick off in April 2020, 2022 on an early build of Overwatch 2, teams are now looking to build rosters worthy of taking on the Dragons next year. Unfortunately for most fans, this means it's time for the most difficult part of the year, the off-season roster apocalypse. Roster apocalypse. 
Because Overwatch 2 runs on 5v5 versus 5 competitive system, teams may consider downsizing or adjusting their rosters. In addition, many players will likely make the jump to coaching or retirement before the sequel upends the status quo of the league. That said, many new players will also enter the fray and try to make their name in 2022. Key Dates Per the Overwatch League's roster construction rules, teams can begin submitting trades as early as September 26th, one day after the Grand Finals end. Teams have until October 2nd to extend player contracts. After this date, the roster apocalypse officially begins. Players whose contracts were not extended become free agents as of October 9th and can be signed to a team as early as October 10th, though they'll likely weigh offers through the winter. Teams must have a minimum of five players signed by January 3rd, 2022, and must have the roster minimum six players signed and ready to roll by March 1st. This off-season trade tracker will be updated and maintained from September 2021 to April 2022. Entries are in reverse chronological order, meaning the newest changes will be at the bottom. Uh, no, sorry, sorry, my bad. Will be at the top. A list of free agents, once they are available, can be found at the bottom of the tracker. That's actually my eyes darted down to the word bottom there, and that's why I stumbled there. Um, also, the I'm glad I read that because that clear, more far more clearly outlined what I tried to say um, before. I, I was saying trades had to be done by the 9th uh, of October. When I That was totally wrong. What I was thinking was what she outlines there. Players whose contracts were not extended become free agents as of October 9th. So if a player is going to be extended, if their contract is going to be extended... Um, then that's what we will probably see in the next week, uh, week and a half kind of thing, leading up to October 9th. And after that, players become free agents and the so-called roster apocalypse, as Liz calls it, uh, begins. So over the next week and a half, uh, hopefully by the time we record next episode next week, um, hopefully we will uh, have some more news on some players being re-signed and things like that. But for now, uh, the list looks like this, September 2021. And I'm going to start with uh, start with the oldest, um, and then I will uh, move on from there. So, oldest, September 1st, Florida Mayhem releases assistant coach Kim Docks, Minsiok, and O Insight Sang Min. Um, obviously, Florida did not have the greatest season this past, uh, this past season. Um, they started off with a bang, you know, making it to Hawaii in the May Melee Tournament. Um, but unfortunately, after that, uh, they were pretty abysmal and actually wound up outside of even the play-ins. I believe they were in the bottom three spots in North America with, of course, the Vancouver Titans, the London Spitfire, and themselves. So no surprise there that we're seeing changes on the Florida side. What will be interesting is to see what they do with a lot of their players, um, given they ha they certainly going into this season, seemed to have a, a pretty solid and exciting core that they had built up. Um, but given their performance this past year, uh, I, I would argue nobody's safe, realistically. So we'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm a bit of a Florida stand, so cross your fingers for some good news with Florida. September 9th, Houston Outlaws DPS KSF announces his retirement. Um, I believe we talked about that on, not last episode, we did talk about that. Um, after Houston was eliminated from the playoffs. So I won't cover too much of that one. Um, you know, best of luck to KSF, of course. And then one of the more exciting announcements, although not incredibly surprising, um, earlier at the beginning of the week here, September 27th, the Paris Eternal confirmed general manager of Ala will be returning for the 2022 season. Um, a bit of a no-brainer there. Paris would have been literally a, a bag of rocks if they had not brought Avala back. 
um, because of the impact she had on the team this past season. Obviously, Paris saw some pretty big success after uh, the rumors going into this season were that they were basically given no money to work with, and uh, they kind of had to uh, build an entirely new roster. After most of the previously previous Paris Eternal roster from the 2019 season made the jump over to Dallas with, with Coach Rush. Um, so Avala, sort of the background hero of the Paris Eternal, um, you know, they overall, I think Paris should be very proud of the season they had. I, I believe they finished with an even 500 or something like that, or just below. Um, but ultimately, I don't think many people thought Paris was going to be out of the bottom few there. So... Um, great to see Avala being brought back, obviously. And if, if, if she hadn't, holy cow, someone would have scooped her up for certain. That is absolutely, uh, no doubt in my mind. So, and that is all we have for, uh, for the 2021 off-season trade tracker over on dottysports.com. Now, of course, um, as I mentioned, we're going to keep an eye on this, uh, and every week as there are more updates we'll we'll take another look we'll loop back in with lizzie and uh yeah we'll 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 get it all in there so there you have it that is all i have to cover this week um i guess it's time to wrap up the show true self is without form all right well thank you very much for listening to episode 54 of one man watchpoint and overwatch podcast of course a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of overwatch I am your host at Sir Dr. JM. That's Sir D-R-J-M. You can follow me on all socials at Sir Dr. JM. Of course, follow me on Twitter and reach out to me there if you have topics, questions, concerns, uh, whatever. The stuff you want me to talk about on the show, reach out to me there. Send me a DM or just tweet at me. I'm happy to engage with you there. And of course, check out Ready, Set, Pwn's podcast uh, where we talk a about a lot of the stuff I just talked about. But actually a lot of different things as well. Um, so go check me out over there. Um, I would also be remiss if I did not mention that uh, you should keep an eye on Twitter uh, on my account as well as Ready, Set, Pwn's account. They are, uh, there, there may be something announced in the next week or so um, that uh, I'm very much looking forward to. So with all of that said, once again, I thank you for listening to episode 54. And as we say goodbye to the Overwatch League's 2021 season, and we begin to get ready to say hello to the uh, Overwatch 2 in the 2022 season, I will leave you with uh, this short saying from Zenyatta. Peace be upon you.